I believe in Christ, he is my king. With all my heart to him I'll sing. I'll raise my voice in praise and joy, in grand amens my tongue employ. Scriptures reveal the divine desires of the Lord in our behalf. Each of us should have a burning desire to search the scriptures diligently and daily to seek the will of the Lord in our life. Brothers and sisters, on very thin pages, thick with meaning, are some almost hidden scriptures. Hence we are urged to search, feast, and ponder. If you are lonely, please know you can find comfort. If you are discouraged, please know you can find hope. If you are poor in spirit, please know you can be strengthened. If you feel you are broken, please know you can be mended. Welcome to Go and Do. This week we cover Alma chapter 17 through 22, the beginning of the missions of the sons of Mosiah. Uh, there's a lot of really interesting topics to cover in this lesson, so let's get started. I'm interesting because we, we follow Alma for a little bit, and then he comes across the sons of Mosiah, and I think, it, I don't know if it's Mormon or... Or if, like, when he's compiling all of this, that he's like, okay, I'm going to set that aside, and we're just going to go, we're going to backtrack to talk about the sons of Moses and what they went through. But it's pretty cool, because when you think of this happening simultaneously with what was happening with Alma and Amulek, there's a lot of good stuff going on just from those five, four or five or six people, you know? that they decided to go out and start teaching the gospel to people who probably needed it the most, who probably needed it the most, and uh, a lot of them start converting to the gospel, and some of the most hardened people out there, you know? It's kind of interesting that they were just decided to go out and be missionaries after their, their own conversion and, and immediately started paying dividends. So, two quick thoughts I had at the beginning. It was right before the chapter, there's like almost like a preface, a little. And, it, and it's interesting because it says, the sons of Mosiah who rejected the rights of the kingdom. And, and I'm pretty sure, I, well, I don't know when that would happen, but I'm pretty sure it happened after they decided to go and try to make amends for all their problems and things that they had caused. Because I don't know if people remember, but the sons of Mosiah and Alma were out and about doing all sorts of wickedness and being bad examples and trying to bring down the church. And then in the first couple of verses, it, it, uh, as uh, Alma joins them, it kind of lets us know in verse 2, that they, these were the same sons of Mosiah that were with Alma, the younger, when the angel appeared and they were rejoicing and they rejoiced because they were still being converted. They were still being faithful. And and the thought I had was, 
these all of these individuals could have had prominent leadership positions. Yeah. But they chose not to. And it's interesting because I mean these chapters, they're missionary chapters, and we often think that um we have to have a be very influential. We have to be an influencer. We have to have so many followers or such position at church, you know, or, or in the government we need, in order to change things. And, uh, and this wasn't that way. You know, they, they actually rejected those high positions and, and decided to just go and teach to the people and share their testimony. I also thought it was interesting on on verse um, verse nine on chapter seventeen, where it says, "And it came to pass that they journeyed many days in the wilderness, and they fasted much and prayed much that the Lord would grant unto them a portion of His Spirit to go with them." So it seems like they're preparing themselves. They're they're trying to strengthen themselves. Well, the part that's interesting for me is verse 10, where it says, It came to pass that the Lord did visit them with the Spirit and said unto them, Be comforted. And they were comforted. It, it feels almost like they must have just, by faith and willpower and desire, wanting to go, Hey, let's let's go do this. And then it wasn't after the fact that it says, Many days in the wilderness. Then the confirmation came and then uh and then the lord then gives them specific directions okay now go among the lamanites thy brethren and establish the word because we almost always read these chapters and we think they knew exactly what they were doing they had a plan they had divvied out the kingdom ammon's going to go this way amish is going to go this or not amish but so and so is going to go this way My, my thought that came to me is sometimes that's also what happens to us and we shouldn't get discouraged if if we just have a nugget of an idea or a desire, I should go help my neighbor or I should go help so-and-so or I wish I could. Sometimes we have to pay that price, the many days and then, you know, and then the confirmation and the comfort and the direction comes. Yeah, I think even the the first section in the lesson is our faith is strengthened as we diligently seek to know the truth. I mean, the, the sons of Mosiah and Alma, they, they were raised kind of in the gospel, I think, but at the same time, maybe not. I mean, we talked about that in the past that we don't really know how much Alma the younger was exposed to Alma the elders previous life. You know, we don't know exactly if he was raised uh, after his uh, Alma the Elder's conversion or what, but the, at some point, every individual has to take upon them the responsibility of gaining their own testimony, right? And these guys, they they had an, an amazing experience being seen, uh, seeing the angel, and then going through a repentance process. They they had very strong faith, but then the next one is our love can help others prepare to receive the gospel. And I think part of part of it's it's almost like a mirror image, like the effort that they had to put into their own testimonies. They then had to start putting that effort into helping other people have a testimony. That it's not 
it's not easy just to say, hey, you need to believe this. It's true. They didn't just show up and, you know, in these Lamanite lands and be like, okay, now we're here to save you from yourselves. And now we're here to bestow upon you truth and you just need to accept it. it that's not how they approached it. You know, it wasn't a demanding way well, of doing it. It's, it's kind of they, they sought to understand before yeah. being understood, which is, you know, I, as I was, you know, this next section um, in, the, in the lesson, it says, I can be an instrument in God's hands to bring salvation to his children. And then it, it shares the quote by President Monson that says, I always want the Lord to know if he needs an errand run, Tom Monson will run that errand for him. And, uh, and I was thinking, what is the errand that the Lord needs in, this, um, in these chapters? And then I thought of the Doctrine and Covenants, section 18, verse 10, where uh, the Lord speaks to Oliver Cowdery, and he says, Remember, the worth of souls is great in the sight of God. And then it says, For behold, the Lord your Redeemer suffereth death in the flesh, wherefore he suffereth the pains of all men, and all, that all men might repent and come unto him. And he hath risen from the dead, that he might bring all men unto him on conditions of repentance. And how great is his joy in, in the soul that repenteth. And so that made me think of, you know, the Lord cares about the Lamanites. And it's interesting because in the same chapter 17, Alma chapter 17, verse 14, it's going to kind of set up what kind of people were the Lamanites. And it yeah. says at this time, it says, uh, they assuredly it was great for they had undertaken to preach the word of God to a wild and a hard, hardened and ferocious people, a people who delighted in murdering the Nephites and robbing them, and plundering them, and their hearts were set on riches upon gold, silver, and precious stones. Yet they sought to obtain these things by murdering and plundering, and that they might not labor for them with their own hands. And thus they were a very indolent people, many of whom did worship idols and curse God. And the curse of God had fallen upon them because of their traditions of their fathers, notwithstanding the promise of the Lord, notwithstanding the promises of the Lord were extended unto them on the conditions of repentance. So they could have been more opposite than the Lamanites. Because um, we know the Lamanites, are, I mean the Nephites, the Nephites were very industrious. They didn't try to murder. They had laws. They had judges. They had a way of keeping the harmony and peace. Even among those that weren't members of the church, for the most part, it sounds like it worked. They 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 looked over the differences and stuff. And the immediate thing that came to me was our current stat, uh, social circumstances we have right now, where we have individuals um, in our in the whole world right now that uh, judge each other for their different cultures, their different skin colors, their different traditions that they have. And we are very tempted to write people off, to say, hey, I'm going to go share my gospel or the gospel with those that are like me, you know. And they took a kind of a different approach. Now, granted, they had to 
you know, it was like Enos. They had to first themselves find out about the gospel and learn about it. Then their immediate family and then their perceived enemies, right? But yeah, we, you know, because there's a lot of discourse in, in, in conversations right now about uh, different traditions people have, different ways of interpreting the laws and what, how we should live and treat each other. And, and the sons of Messiah, they, I don't know, it's, it's funny because as soon as Ammon goes to King uh, Lamoni, right? Um, yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't feel like Ammon treats King Lamoni and his people like they're murderers, they're hard-hearted. He, he goes to what they relate with. Oh, you have a job to do? Yeah. I'd like to help. How can I help? You know? And, and, and it was through that they found more in common to where King Lamoni could say, hey, what are you all about? This doesn't make sense because what I think you guys are, Nephites, I think you guys are this way. And you're not that way. Why, why are you like this? Why are you so great? Why are you a good person? And right. uh, it kind of cut through all the superficial beliefs and things, which we may have now. I mean, there's so many things posted in extreme examples and headlines and things and trying to label people a certain way. These people are this way. These people are this way that it keeps everybody separated from getting to know each other and actually share what's most common amongst us. And, and I don't know, and that, I don't know, that feels like what Ammon's tactic kind of was, just kind of like we said at the beginning, to seek to understand before being understood. Yeah, I think the first thing that came to my mind is that what these guys did was missionary work, and we always looked at the Sons of Mosiah as being like these perfect examples of missionaries, but they were also just doing ministry. Like when he went to Lamoni, instead of saying, I'm here to teach you the gospel, he's like, I just want to live among you. And I want to, he didn't start out by saying, I'm here to convert all of you heathens. You know, yeah. <laughs> he, he showed up by saying, yeah, I'm, I'm here to live and I'm here to be here for a while and whatever you need done, I'll do it. Well, I'm going to give you one of the most menial tasks, most boring and probably dangerous things that I can do. You're going to watch over my flocks. And it's well known that my flocks are always attacked and you're probably going to die. Good luck. And he went, okay, I'll do that. And went out and did it. The other thing I thought was, even though they paint this picture of the Lamanites being just horrible people, you don't really get that immediate vibe from them when you start when when he goes and starts living with them that they're obviously there's more maybe I don't know it seems like the kingdoms kind of exist as little bubbles and that there's a lot of conflict between the different kingdoms in the Lamanite land um, obviously the the Flocks and stuff being pillaged and people being robbed and be on the road and stuff. There's a little less order going on. There's a little less like institutionalized laws and stuff like that. That's kind of every every kingdom for themselves. And so, Lamona is like very interested in making sure that his people are taken care of. But they have 
some semblance of religion. They have some semblance of beliefs. Because then he starts talking about the gospel a little bit. And King Lamoni is like, are you talking about the Great Spirit? And he's like, yeah, yeah. The Great Spirit, that's God. You know, and he's like, oh, because I know about the Great Spirit. And so he, it's not that they're just completely devoid of any truth. They probably have some semblance of it. And he even says, you know, the Great Spirit that our fathers taught us about and whatever. It's just that they've lost kind of where all the connections are, where, where it all meets together. They have these little pockets of this and that and the other, but they've lost kind of what, what brings it all together and what makes it so that we would want to do good things and stop plundering and murdering each other. You know, it's, it's kind of interesting. And of course, yeah, we always talk, the, the big story about Ammon, you know, cutting people's arms off and stuff. That's uh, always the the impactful part of it. But I think the biggest part of it is that he didn't use that as a triumphant way to go rolling into the king being like, see, see how powerful God is. See how powerful I am. He wasn't even there. Well, it was, it, it makes me feel a lot like, he respects the king enough and his intelligence to know that he'll come to the correct conclusion, that he'll understand and value a profitable uh, servant, you know? And, and I think sometimes we, you know, we try to spoon feed people, especially like when we're trying to do and um, share the gospel, like, you know, and, it's like he he knows what a good servant is, and by the way, let's go tend to the horses because that's the next thing we need to do. You know, um, it's it's almost like he was trusting that the Lord would work with King Lamoni. He just was an instrument. It wasn't I need to make the, all of these things happen. Uh, I need to just be good, and that's what I've been told to do. And the opportunities will will arise, right? It seems like the blockbuster thing to do, though, would be to go out there, collect all the arms, put them in a thing, take them up to the doorstep and be like, see, this is what God can do. You know, there's this big impactful moment. And he just doesn't do that. He's just like, like you said, he trusted the Lord would influence Lamoni's heart. And he just went about doing what he was doing. And it was not, Lamoni wasn't like, hey, uh, why isn't Ammon here claiming credit for this? He was more like, where is this guy? And when they told him, he's taking care of your horses, he's taking them to water, he was like, oh my gosh, not only did he do this incredible feat, but he just went on to the next task that I gave him without a- asking any questions. And so and, and that I, huge difference for him. It wasn't easy. I mean, the first time he's watching the flocks and these people come and scatter them. Yeah. And then the servants start to panic right away. Oh, no, this is bad. We're going to get slaughtered. This happened last time. And then in 29, verse 29 of chapter 17, it says, And now they wept because of fear. And now when Ammon saw this, his heart took, was swollen within, within with joy. For he said, I will show forth my power unto my fellow servants, or the power which is in me, in restoring these flocks. So. One, he sees an opportunity and 
he definitely, they have to be full of the spirit, you know, the sons of Messiah and stuff, in order to see this isn't, this appears very negative, like a very negative situation. And then he speaks to them in 31 and he says, my brethren, be of good cheer and let us go search these flocks and we will gather them. We don't know how long that took, how hard <laughs> that was. Yeah. You get, you step on, on some pokey thing, you scrape your knee, you know, because <laughs> I, you know, the, I, you always, you know, when you read these accounts, you never think what was going on. Maybe they were really thirsty. It was a really hot day. Maybe the sheep were just not cooperating. And it took one, two, three times. And then they come, and then that's when he, he whips out the sling and takes a few of them out with the sling, and then the sword. And so Ammon had skills. He, he This probably wasn't his first time using the sword and the sling, gathering sheep. But it's, you know, the big moment, the big example you know, right after they, they slew a bunch of the waters of Sivas. Therefore, they did not fear Ammon, for they supposed that one of their men could slay him according to their pleasure. For they knew not that the Lord had promised Messiah that he would deliver his sons out of their hands. Neither did they know anything concerning the Lord. Wherefore, they delighted in the destruction of their brethren. For this cause, they stood to scatter the flocks of the king. And then he withstood them with the stones. But you have to think about King Mosiah. He's like, okay, I was promised my sons will be okay. <laughs> Go. And like, that's pretty hard um, as well. Takes a lot of faith to, to know that these people will literally kill a Nephite on sight and that you're sending all of your sons to go for who knows how long. It ends up being years, right, in the long run. They're gone for like seven years total or something to the Lamanites. And that whole time, he's probably just back in Nephite land going, I'm sure they're taken care of. You know, that kind of speaks to some of the faith that we have to have when we send 18-year-old boys out into the world and saying, you know what, Laura's going to take care of them, whatever, whatever that means, whatever that looks like. Uh, they're going to come back changed. You know, they're going to come back different people. When he does finally start to teach Lamoni, because the whole the whole story about the arms and stuff that's great, but really that's just an opening to his real mission there, which is to teach them the gospel. And Lamoni kind of asks him, uh, "What on earth is is it that makes you able to do this?" And then he starts talking about God. Do you believe in God? And he talks about the great spirit and they start getting into um, what that actually means. And he, he thinks that Ammon is the great spirit at first, you know, and Ammon's very clear to say, I'm not him, but I was sent by him. And it says uh, in verse 22, now Ammon being wise, and this is 22 of chapter 18, being wise yet harmless, he said unto Lamoni, wilt thou hearken unto my words? If I tell thee by what power I do these things, this is the thing that I desire of thee. And I I always wonder what that means. Now, Ammon being wise yet harmless. Like, what does, why, why does that word there? Because clearly it doesn't mean that he's, I think it means that he's not trying to trick him. 
he's doing it without God, you know. Um, he's not trying to say, okay, I'm taking advantage of this situation. Well, it's kind of like he he's, understands there's an opportunity to share the gospel, but by no means was his intention to tr- do all these things so he could share the gospel. Right. Because it kind of, at the beginning, where I think it's really interesting, where he gets taken to the king, and the king's like, what are you doing here? He's like, I would like to live here. Yeah, probably even until the day I die. And uh, and I'm curious if that's the truth. If he would have stayed there forever. And maybe that was his mentality going in and says, maybe it was, I'm going to be amongst these people. And I know eventually I'll have an opportunity to share the gospel with them. So he wasn't on a time schedule. He wasn't. And who knows how long. I mean, this seems like it progresses fairly quickly, like from one day to another. Now the king wants to talk to him. But it's kind of maybe a little bit like that where he's wise. He has a purpose. But he's harmless in the sense that he's not there to force things. You know? Right. Maybe it would have taken years. If if this would have happened, this or maybe I mean it could have been weeks or months. We don't like you said. We don't know how long it took. Um, I think back to when I was a missionary, and you know, there's this idea that you're going to be in an area for a certain period of time. And my mission, it it varies by mission. In my mission, rarely were you in an area for longer than six months. That was kind of like the cap. And so. You know, you reach the four and a half month mark and then there's transfers and you're like, well, if I stay here, then I know I'm leaving the next time. And there's this idea, you know, I've got six weeks left here. Ammon didn't really go with that concept. Like he unpacked his luggage and was there to stay from day one. And it was like, come what may, I'm going to be here. I don't know for how long I may be here for my entire life. And I think that your mindset, the way you approach people, you um, opportunities of sharing the gospel changes drastically when you think I'm going to be here for six weeks or 12 weeks or even six months versus I'm going to be here potentially forever. These are now your people. These are now your family. This is now your, your invested time and energy in the welfare and in salvation of the people around um it's a very different response than oh i'm i'm I'll, I'll be out of here in a few months you know and even i think if you're a missionary if you know that you're going to be leaving if you think of it in different terms of this is where i am and these are the people that matter mo- more than anywhere else or if you move to a new uh, city or something like that instead of saying well we're our plan is to live here for five years and then we're going to move somewhere else well why don't you look at your neighbors and all of that as these are my people now this is who i am responsible for these are the type, type of people that i'm going to be interacting with potentially forever i don't know if yeah. you look at it that well, way it changes kinda... your look on your interactions with them it's kind of the difference between, hey, we need to hurry up and go get a lesson in so we can report back to, to you know, our home teaching district leader that we visited our families. Or it's the longer mindset of, you know, my neighbor, I'm going to, you know, we're living here next to each other. I got to make sure that all their needs are met forever. Yeah. 
The other thing I think about this is when he when he starts to teach is starts with the very very basics. Do you do you believe in God? Do you believe in heaven and creation? Yeah, and do you believe that God created everything? And it's, he's not going straight into you know baptism and all that. He's saying let's start with the basics here. I, I got to figure out where we stand because keep in mind this is probably the first time in a long time that a missionary has gone directly to the Lamanites themselves to teach. And as we learn kind of later, every kingdom in the Lamanite area is a little bit different. And so he's got to kind of teach to his audience. He's got to figure out what is it that, where do we stand spiritually and what knowledge do they, do they have and how can I adjust it? Okay. Yeah. The great spirit, that that's what I'm, that's who I'm talking about when I talk about God. What you know about the Great Spirit, that's kind of the same person. And then he goes and teaches, like, everything. <laughs> like, so much. Starts going into the scriptures. In verse 39, where he expounded unto them the plan of redemption, which was prepared before the foundation of the world. And he also made known unto them concerning the coming of Christ, and all the works of the Lord did he make known unto them. So, this... This gets really in-depth, and part of me was like, that's a lot to be teaching all at once. And then I remember when my mom was converted to the gospel, uh, she put off listening to the discussions for a long time. And then when she finally opened her doors to the missionaries, back then they had the six discussions, and they taught all six discussions in one day. And it's because she kept having questions. She'd ask, well, what about this? And then they'd be like, okay, well, that's the next lesson. And she's like, okay, well, come on, you know. And when someone is ready, when someone is willing to learn and they have true, genuine desire to know the truth, I don't think that the spirit will, will hold back. Probably Lamoni was like, tell me more about this. Tell me more about that. Well, what about this? Well, who is this Christ? You know, and it, it kind of led Ammon to be able to just kind of sit down and break down the whole thing for him. From the time that they left Jerusalem all the way till the present, he told them all about it. He even goes into telling them about how Laman and Lemuel, the rebellions, and he expounded to them the records and the scriptures from the time that Lehi left Jerusalem to the present time. Expounded to them, all like you just went into even the stuff that maybe you wouldn't necessarily want to address with the Lamanites right off the bat, you know? Y'all were the Sorry. rebellious side. <laughs> no, but I like it because he kind of, you know, starts out with God and then, hey, I am given authority. Like, like, why are you any different than anyone else? Why should I believe whatever you have to say? And he yeah. talks about his authority being called by the spirit and stuff. But I really like the Lemon and Lemuel part because we see it previously and we also see it after that the biggest conflict that the Lamanites had with the Nephites were these perceived wrongs that yep. they kept clinging on to, which it's often referred to as the false traditions of their fathers or their ancestors that that Nephi had wronged and stolen the the, the Lehona and the and the plates and and that Laman and Lemuel were rightfully and that seems silly. 
but we literally have nations in at war right now for similar things um, that think, oh, we were wronged generations and generations ago. And and he also goes into, you know, they left Jerusalem and all these things. And it's pretty nice because you'd have to think that he's not telling him new things. He's just explaining things that King Lamoni and his people already believe and know. Just a little adjustment. Here's what really happened. And again, he's teaching them according to what's common and understanding between them. Yeah. You know, he doesn't dive into... I, hey, and Isaiah said this, you know, this isn't time for that right now. It's kind of, what are the practical things? And most of it is, why are we here? Why are you here? Why are our two families and nations here? And what are we supposed to do during this life? Yeah, and then the big thing happens, that he finishes this big, long explanation about the gospel, and Lamoni collapses as if he was dead, it says. And I think everyone kind of, uh, well, they carry him away. They're probably thinking he's exhausted, he's overwhelmed, whatever it may be. So they take him to his bed for two days and two nights. And then his, they think he's dead. Like his, uh, all, all the people start kind of mourning that he's died. But then they started to get a grave essentially ready for him. You know, and his wife comes and is like, look, Ammon, I don't know what's going on. Everyone's saying that they think he's dead. I don't think he's dead. Can you help me know what's going on here? And Ammon kind of knows what's going on because he went through this with his brothers and especially with Alma the Younger, his friend, went through this exact same thing where he was knocked out for several days. And he knows, it says in... um, Verse 6 of chapter 19. Now this is what Ammon desired, for he knew that King Lamoni was under the power of God. He knew that the dark veil of unbelief was being cast away from his mind, and the light which did light up his mind, which was the light of the glory of God, which was a marvelous light of goodness. Yea, this light had infused such joy into his soul, the cloud of darkness having been dispelled, and that the light of everlasting life was lit up in his soul. Yea, and he knew that this had overcome his natural frame and he was carried away before God. So literally the, the, the spirit had overwhelmed his mortal body to the point where it just kind of shut down, but there's still stuff happening in his mind and in his brain. And he, he basically lets the queen know everything's going to be okay. He's not dead. He sleepeth in God. It says in verse eight, and on the morrow he shall rise again, therefore bury him not. Just don't worry, stuff's happening, you know. <laughs> and the queen is like, yeah, okay, I'll believe that. Which, you know, when we talk about gifts of the Spirit and we talk about the gift of believing, I think these people had that. I think they were so starving for truth and light and knowledge that when it presented itself, they were so willing to believe it. King Lamoni believes things pretty quickly. Once Al- once Ammon starts teaching him, he kind of just absorbs it. And even the queen, you know, who may or may not have been present for all of that, she says, I believe that it shall be according to thou hast said. She just believes Ammon. And I think that 
part of it is I don't know what else to do other than believe you, but also they just had this, they were ready. They were prepared. I came across people like this on a mission very rarely, but that you could tell that they were ready to accept the gospel. They were ready. They just, they were starving for some truth to hang on to. And when they got it, it was like, yeah, yeah, I believe that. And it was almost like, are you sure? Like, <laughs> this is pretty, this is kind of different than what you've been doing. No, I believe that. Yeah. And I'm willing to change. Yeah. It's kind of, I like the scripture in Doctrine and Covenants, section 123, verse 12, where it says, For there are many yet on the earth among all sects, parties, and denominations who are blinded by the subtle craftiness of men, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, and who are only kept from the truth because they know not where to find it. That one's very specific to someone's purposely keeps people you know through their craftiness and false traditions and uh distort the truth you know and what was interesting to me is they 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 believe what they are living like this is a huge change and i see this amongst individuals who they pretend to be happy in their sin you know, oh, they'll go to a club, they'll go drinking. They'll, in the happiest moments of happiness, but there isn't lasting peace. They jump from one event to another and don't know how to just, hey, everything's good. You know, like, uh, I don't know if that makes sense. It's more, but, like, um, it's more like excitement than happiness. Like, you get excited, you get worked up about something, but it's not happiness or true joy it's just kind of like oh that's exciting you know well it reminds me of you know people who live for the weekend right and uh i I can't remember maybe it was us talking some other time but it was a quote about somebody saying so you're saying you know five sevenths of your life is just waiting for for those two days you know (laughs) uh you know they they were prepared and and like you mentioned before, this is the first time we see missionaries going from the Nephites to the Lamanites. But when did this preparation happen? When did these seeds begin to be planted? Um, could have been even a generation ago. It could have been. And then later we'll see the interactions between King Lamoni and his and the great king of the land. You know, yeah. and And the turning point there is, again, when he notices that Ammon cares for his son, genuinely cares for him, it yeah. changes everything. We live in a world right now where there's a lot of tensions between cultures and races and things where we try, we're trying to communicate through these abstract principles and laws and history and trying to hash things up. But the people that are truly happy, that really have tolerance and have diversity in their life and, and are kind, are people who just know each other. Hey, you're right there and they can talk. And I think sometimes we create these wedges with what we think should happen and what they think has happened. And, what, and we forget to just, hey, go the Ammon route. Go serve each other. Go spend time, 
have lunch together and find what is more in common than what it isn't. It's cool that as soon as he, just like Ammon promises, as soon as he comes out of his sleep or his coma, basically, um, he immediately starts to bear testimony. And everyone kind of that's there hears it and they start to pray also for forgiveness and whatever. And then they all kind of collapse, right? The servants, the king again, uh, his wife, everybody kind of collapses. And there's one person who doesn't. And this is uh, a very interesting part when you're talking about how long has this preparation been going on? How long has the Lord been preparing these people for the truth? In verse 16, And it came to pass that they did call on the name of the Lord in their might, even until they had all fallen to the earth. Save it were one of the Lamanitish women, whose name was Abish. She having been converted unto the Lord for many years on account of a remarkable vision of her father, thus having been converted to the Lord and never having made it known. Therefore, when she saw that all the servants of Lamoni had fallen to the earth, and also her mistress, the queen, and the king, and Ammon lay prostrate upon the earth, she knew that it was, by, that it was the power of God. And supposing that this opportunity by making known unto the people what had happened among them, that by beholding this scene, it would cause them to believe in the power of God. Therefore, she ran forth from house to house, making it known unto the people. This lady was already kind of converted back to the truth. Her father had had some vision. Her father had taught her. You know, in the home that I had this vision and this is what I've seen and this is what I know to be true. She was already a believer. She didn't need to collapse and have, you know, a three day or whatever long coma of, you know, repentance and, and understanding of the gospel because she had already had that. Yeah. And she was prepared, you know. It's and interesting then, that she went and got people. So she must have thought of that. That must have been a desire in her, of her heart. I wish all my neighbors, I wish we would know about the truth. And then when the opportunity came, she knew right away, we should go get them because they got to see this. I think that she probably had an immense amount of faith and was looking for an opportunity to share it, but knew that, that, that those types of thoughts and that type of religion was not welcome at the time. And I wonder what her thoughts were the first time when the king first passed out for three days. She probably saw Ammon. I imagine that Ammon coming in, a Nephite coming in and serving the king was big news in the land. Everyone probably knew about it. And so she was probably like, what is this about? And then everyone heard about him cutting off the arms. Right? That was probably a big deal. And then he comes in and is teaching the king, and then the king collapses. And that was probably a big deal, especially at least in, within the king's household. And so she's hearing about all of this, and she's probably like, what is going on? And maybe the Spirit's telling her, now is the time. Now all of this stuff that you've been prepared for, all the stuff that you know, is going to come. We, you're going to be needed. And... She didn't really do anything. I think she was still kind of like, I'm, I don't really know how this is going to turn out. And when the king came out of his coma and was 
saying all of the things that she knew was true, it was probably like, holy cow, this is really happening. There's a conversion happening. And then when everyone collapsed, she's like, okay, I got to make sure as many people as possible know about this and that they're actually here present to witness it. Because if the same thing happens again, as soon as these people come to and they, they regain consciousness, they're going to also bear testimony of it. And if there's a huge crowd of people there to witness this, then they will all receive the testimony of these, of these rulers, you know, at the same time. Um, so she went house to house. It was literally, she went like rapid tracting to go get people to come in and check out what was going on. And then in verse 18, and they began to assemble themselves together unto the house of the king. And there came a multitude, and, and to their astonishment, they beheld the king and the queen and the servants prostrate on the earth. And they all lay there as though they were dead. And they also sought Ammon, and behold, he was a Nephite. And the people began to murmur among themselves, some saying that it was a great evil that had, been, that had come upon them, or upon the king and, the, and his house, because he had suffered that a Nephite should remain in the land. So they didn't really get it what was going on they weren't around for all of this and so when they come they kind of think the worst and honestly i think you you'd probably probably think the same way <laughs> if you walked in and saw everyone's laying around like they're dead and there's this nephite guy and what is going on so obviously they start thinking the worst right yeah. and it, it isn't until they start to come back to life that uh that that's dispelled, that it's not some evil thing that Ammon has done to them. Well, it, you also, you know, you have Ammon, you have King Lamona, King Lamona's wife, and you have Avish, and they've all, you can tell, they've all been prepared, but they're, everyone else must have been prepared as well in their own way. Because, uh, you know, in, in Moroni, chapter 10, towards the end, verse 9, 10, 11, talks about the gift of the spirits and what comes to mind is that for behold to one is given the spirit of God that he may teach the word of wisdom to another that he may teach the word of knowledge by the same to another exceedingly great faith in and you know in, in healings and to another that he may prophesy to another that he may have the ministering of angels or maybe these visions these sleep pass out visions you know <laughs> the gift of tongue, and then to others to believe on their word. You know, the thought I had was how generous the Lord is. You know, it reminded me of when Nephi, Laman, Lemuel, and Sam go to Jerusalem. There, you can see all the obstacles, but they're there to get the plates. And you know what? They get the plates. And also Nephi gets a best friend, Zoram, <laughs> to go home with him, you know? That's going to help him throughout the rest of the story. And maybe he's going to make what's going to happen and the separation, all that, just a little bit more bearable that he's got somebody. And also, on from Zoram's point of view, he's stuck in the city, and he has a good heart. And you know what? I'm sending you a rescue party to come get you out of there. And it, it feels a little bit like that with, with this part as well, because, you know, Maybe the story would be totally different. Well, very similar, but very interesting to hear from Avish's point of view. Yeah. You know, she has this vision. She prays. She tries to, maybe she's slowly doing her own missionary work and she's waiting 
and waiting. And then wham comes Ammon. And then she sees everybody collapsing. It's like, I can't believe this is happening. <laughs> and now they're going to go They're You know, they're, they're, I'm not trying to spoiler alert here, but they're all going to convert and be well, awesome and be movable. The devastation, though, that she feels when she comes back after collecting this multitude of people and realizes that they're thinking that it's some bad, evil thing that's happened. And she starts to cry. And she's probably like, no, 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 no. I've been waiting so long for something like this to happen. I, this can't be, you can't be ignoring this. This can't fail, you know? And so she takes the initiative to go up and grab the queen by the hand, which is kind of what triggers her to awaken. And she bears testimony of things. And then she goes and grabs the, the king's hand and he wakes up. And it, it's all of this was, I think, so centered on the faith that Abish had. And I think the Lord giving her the opportunity to be the catalyst to bring the gospel to her people. Ammon brought the message, but she she brought the faith in her people to say, look, I'm not going to allow this to fail. I'm not going to allow this to to just kind of become a crazy occurrence. I'm going to make sure there's people there to witness. I'm going to make sure that they know that this is not an evil thing that's happened, that it's a good thing. It, you know, in verse 35, it came to pass that there were many that did believe their words, and as many as did believe were baptized and became a righteous people, and they did establish a church among them. I, I can just imagine, I think of the people that I knew on my mission in Guatemala that were some of the first members in their, in their cities. And they're very old now because the, the gospel's been in, in Guatemala for quite a while. Uh, the church has been there for decades. But there's this kind of feeling of, I always knew that something was true. When the gospel came, we were the first to accept it. And it was like this, to look back now on how the church has grown, um, you see how the Lord was constantly preparing his people to accept the gospel when it was presented. And I think that for her, it was probably this moment of like, finally, this vision that my father had and that he taught me and that I, I believed in, it's not just a story. It's not just a crazy dream he had. This is real. And now I get to actually enjoy the fullness of it. I think that must have been just a tremendous experience for her, especially having lived in a society where the exact opposite was going on. It was a lot of, you know, dog eat dog. And for her to live in a new environment where that was the, where it was more about the Lord and the gospel and being kind and all, and all of that, I think was really uh, an incredible thing for her as an individual. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to me that, um, you know, while all this collapsing and, and, and accusations are going on. Amon, Amon is just standing there. <laughs> yeah. And then they blame him, and then they try to slay him, and it doesn't work. They they fell down dead. Uh, this gentleman, he doesn't say his name, but somebody tried to sleep. And then the you know Abish gets the queen, and, and and then they start to. But then, you know, the whole crowd changes when. Um, 31, it says, and he immediately, when the king stood up uh, 
and contention among his people went forth and began to rebuke them and to teach them the words which he has heard from the mouth of Amon. So it's almost like, hey, I it wasn't that long ago Amon told me this, but here, I'm going to tell you what he said. And it's what's interesting is that the people weren't there to believe Amon. They believed the king and the, and the king's wife. Yeah. And I think Amon knew that. But it, it's way more powerful for them to hear it from. It, it's almost like family history. You know, these people, they, you can hear a hundred stories, but then when you hear one from your ancestors or, 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 or from your family members, then it's way more meaningful. But it, it kind of ends with, um, and it came in verse 35, and it came to pass that there were many who did believe in their words, and many that they believe were baptized, and they became a righteous people. And they did establish a church. And thus the work of the Lord did commence among the Lamanites. And thus the Lord did begin to pour out his spirit among them. And we see that his armies extended to all people who will repent and believe on his words. You know, and that's just so key right there. Because religion gets a bad rap, especially Christianity, has been twisted and and mis misappropriated and misrepresented and terrible things have been done to exclude people to control people but this shatters it all it just it's a wonderful story a very extreme example of two very opposing peoples and how they came together and they and then right there at the end, that the Lord, his invitation is extended to all people who would repent and believe in his name. I think that's kind of Mormon's way of saying this is not just a cute story. This is not just something that happened in this instance. This is available to everyone. Even today and even into the future, anyone who is willing to repent and believe on his name the Lord will pour his spirit upon them. You know, I, I think that, that that's Mormon's quick way of saying this cool story that happened. This is really incredible. But guess what? It's not exclusive to this group of people. Yeah. Chapter 20, we just get a, another awesome story. Um, Ammon, you know, everything's going well for him now. And he just, the Lord comes to him and says, you know, your brother Aaron, he's in prison in this land, I think, Midonai, Midonai? And he needs your help. And also Muluki and Amma are in prison. I don't know if we ever heard their names before till now, but I'm assuming these are the other sons of Messiah. And so he's saying, you, you, <laughs> you've turned out well here, but they're not doing so well. You need to go help your brothers. And it's funny because the Lord said to Ammon, hey, go help your brothers. He doesn't say, hey, go take the king because that's going to be advantageous. And no, King King uh, Lamoni offers to Ammon because he goes to King Lamoni and says, hey, I need to go. My brothers are in prison up north or wherever, and, and I need to go help them. And the Lord came to me. And then Lamoni uses his agency. You know, see, and it's funny how the Lord does it. He gives you enough to send you in the right direction. And then 
allows for you to develop the plan. Um, he's not a micromanager. You know, so well, like, whatever. Lamona first wants him to go with him to go see his father. And Emmons like, okay, cool, yeah, we can do that. And then he receives this prompting, now you need to go check on your brothers because they're in prison. So he goes back to Lamona and is like, hey, uh, I'm not going to go see your father right away. I got to go to Madonai first. And instead of being like, whoa, dude, look, I have been listening to you. I've taken good care of you. You owe me this. Go talk to my dad. Instead, he's like, okay, yeah, let's go. Maybe I can, uh, I know the king over there. Maybe I can put in a good word for your brothers, get him out of jail. And the most incredible thing on the way, they run into his father. So it's like the Lord's saying, just do what I'm telling you and things will work out. If they had, if he'd said, well, I can get to my brothers. The Lord already promised that he would take care of them to my father. First, I, I got to go after this head honcho guy. The king, the, the father of the king is a bigger king. That would be a big fish, you know, to catch, to convert yeah. to the gospel. Instead of thinking that way, he's just obedient. And it comes out that he runs across Lamona's father anyway. And it's not the greatest interaction, right? <laughs> Lamanai's father is not super friendly or accepting of the whole situation. He's kind of like, what is going on? What are, why are you with this guy? <laughs> you know? Yeah, it was, um, why didn't you come to the feast? We yeah. had a feast, you weren't there. What, what's going on? Um, Which, you know, being from and a then family. Why are you with this Nephi? He's a children of a liar, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's an awkward situation <laughs> for poor well, Ammon. Kind of goes back to when when he explains Laman and Lemuel and what really happened. It seems like for them, the Lamanites, these wrongs or these, you know, having Nephi be their ancestor is a big deal to them. You know, why are you with these? They're liars. Yeah. Um, this is 90 BC. This is literally almost 500 years after Nephi was even around. 400 and something years. And they're, they're still caught up on, on that whole situation. Child of a liar. I mean, it's like, come on. It's funny because, you know, L Lamoni tells his father, hey, these are all the things that have happened. We're actually on our way we're to deliver his brothers who are in this other land. And then once the king hears on this, now when his father heard these words, he was so angry. Well, he was very angry. He was angry. I don't know. I'm adding words to the scripture. And he <laughs> drew his sword that he might smite him to death. His own son. Now, now we go back to the previous chapter, which is where... They describe the Lamanites as bloodthirsty murderers. You kind of see that where their initial reaction is, I'm so angry. He doesn't register. I'm about to kill my own kid. Um, because it's funny because Ammon st st stands forward and defends him and says, you shall not slay thy son. And uh, it's not expedient that you do this. The Lord has prepared him and his blood would come to you for vengeance. 
And then when he answered all these things, then the king decides, well, okay, I'll kill you instead, you know? <laughs> and then he tries to slay Ammon, but, you know, Ammon, he's an expert swordsman. We know yeah. that already. Yeah. And and he withstands him, and, and, um, and then Ammon kind of gets the better of him. And in verse 22, he says, but I will smite thee, except thou will grant unto me that my brethren may be cast out of prison. And now the king, fearing that he should lose his life, in in you know he would say, oh, "I'll do that, and you can have half the kingdom." And he says, yes. "I don't want half the kingdom." Quit the turn of events here. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to kill my son to forget that. I'm going to kill you to okay. Well, please don't kill me. You can have even half my kingdom. I'm sure Ammon was like, "Whoa, uh, yeah. I don't need all that. I, that's not what I'm. That's not what I'm doing here." Well, happened. you know, he says, and when Ammon had, Ammon had no desire to destroy him, you know, again, he is wise, but harmless. Right. 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 And when he also saw the great love he had for his son, and it's, this is really ironic because he sees how much Ammon loves his son, yet he was about to smite his own son. <laughs> it's almost like they were drunk with anger, like. You know, in the scripture, it tells us over again, they get drunk with anger and they go into a rage and they don't understand. And I mean, if you go on YouTube and you watch somebody screaming at somebody in their car because they dig their door, you see kind of this almost like this uncontrolled anger behavior where people forget you're human and they treat each other horribly. And then all of a sudden they can post, oh, but but we should be kind and hold hands and sing around the world. You know, it's it's kind of like these extreme. I think it's giving in to the natural man. The natural man is is easily swayed, and it's a lot of extremes, extreme emotions. Just going with whatever emotion comes up, and enhancing it to the max. Well, this is how I feel right now. It's like, yeah, he felt like killing his son in that moment, and then the next moment he felt like giving up his entire half of his half of his kingdom. And then the next moment he's feeling benevolent and it's like, whoa, you can tell that there's like no self mastery. There's no control over how I think, how I feel. And it's, I think the, the spirit that kind of tempers the natural man. And when you don't have the spirit at all, you are more able to just give in to whatever emotion you're experiencing at that moment. I think it manifests a lot right now in, in social media. It manifests a lot right now in those situations, misunderstandings among people where they just give in to whatever emotion they're feeling at that moment and they run with it. And it's like, why don't you take a beat? Allow yourself to ponder. Allow yourself to, to pray and think, what do I actually th feel and think about this? Instead of just reacting and, and running with it, you know? Yeah. Well, the great blessing here is not only will they free his brothers, but then in the middle of verse 26, because this is all that thou hast desired, and that I would release thy brethren and suffer that my son Lamona should retain his kingdom. Behold, I will grant unto you that my, that my son may retain his kingdom from this time and forever, and I will govern him no more. They basically get the freedom, religious freedom to worship who they want to yep. continue to maintain all of these churches that they just established, 
the people, they, they're going to change their culture. They're going to change their laws. They're going to change things. And then it op- kind of opens the way for the king also to hear the gospel and, and many more people. And, you know, this will play out differently. But ultimately, you're going to have a lot of good people that even come and exceed af- at times the righteousness of the Nephites. In the last two chapters, basically, it's about the brethren that were imprisoned and how that kind of goes about. Um, that they, after they're released from prison, because Ammon and Lamoni get there and they kind of, you know, broker a deal and they're able to get free and whatever at the end of chapter 20. And then in 21, they start to be able to teach a little bit. Um, of the gospel to the people, Malachites and Emulonites. Oh yeah, none of them except only one Malachite, right? Yeah, they should have thrown his name in there, so we would have <laughs> known. And and they also, uh, they're at they have synagogues and they have churches because they're after the order of Nehors. There's Nehor again, um, his long lasting legacy of twisting the truth into something else. And so it's a little bit different for them. When you look back at, at King Lamoni and his kingdom, they didn't have all that. Their their form of religion was a lot more loose. And here with the Amalekites and the Amulonites, uh, it seems like they actually kind of have a little more established religion. But they're, so the job of the of the sons of Mosiah in this place is to kind of correct the route back to God. It's it's funny because Aaron he goes to the Amalekites and kind of the what how they contend with him. They question him and they say, "What it, what what is it that thou hast testified? What are you saying? What thou, <laughs> that thou hast seen an angel?" Why do not angels appear unto us? Behold, are we not good people? Or don't we also matter, basically? Thou sayest, except we repent, we shall perish. How do you know these things and the intentions of our hearts? How do you know that we have cause to repent? How knowest thou that we are not a righteous people? Behold, we have built synagogues and we do assembly. And it's it's kind of like arguments you have today. It's like... Hey, why why do we follow? Why should there be a law of chastity? Don't you think I know how to control myself? What about if people are just happy staying together? Is it my happiness? Aren't we more evolved than that now? You know, like it's just like almost all the same argument. Like, how do you know that I'm the one in the wrong? Why are you the one in the wrong? You know, <laughs> why don't you um, just change yourself and not worry about me? Yeah, yeah, and uh, and then they continue. I mean. They're just, they kind of, after they get delivered, I, I don't know, I was looking, I can't remember, but I thought that King Lamoni, or the king of the land, uh, Lamoni's father, said that they they were okay to go do missionary work wherever they were. But, I mean, but, you know, you... The other thing that I was thinking about that was interesting was, you know, the the story begins with them. They meet up with Alma after having many. Of 21. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And they went forth whithersoever they were led by the Spirit of the Lord, preaching the word of God in every synagogue of the Amalekites, or in every assembly of the Lamanites where they could be admitted. Yeah, and and you have Aaron and I forget the other two's names, but um, they were they had just fasted for many days. They felt the spirit. They meet up with Alma. They all get pumped up and ready to go, and then they end up in prison. And who knows how long they're in there, but I bet you it was a while until they get delivered. And then Aaron's first assignment, he runs into these Amalekites and these knee whores. And now that he's free, he's now having to contend with these people. Later on, Aaron gets to teach Lamoni's father, and it goes much better. But um, what, what it really interests me is all the times that you're on doing the right thing, and you could say, let's pause right here. This isn't working. The, the Lord told us to go to the Lamanites. Look at me. I'm now in prison. Come on. And I say that because those are, you know, that's how my brain works. Maybe it's a bad example. But I have to continuously look at the big picture, continuously have faith, and understand that even when you're doing the right thing, not everything is a home run. It doesn't, it doesn't exempt you from having heart, heartaches, trials, and having your plan not work. And we say this all the time in the scriptures. We see examples with Nephi and the plates and this and him and his brothers. And, 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 but, I mean, we need to extract that and apply it to our days, our things we're trying to accomplish. And it's not all spiritual. It could be with school. It could be with work. It could be, you know, and I mean, they're all one in the same when you think about it, you know. Um, but there's a lot of opportunities for them to get discouraged. But they persevered. And that's something that I admire is they, and it didn't mean that they weren't sad at times. Well, I think the main takeaways from, from these chapters for me are that if you want to make positive change around you, start by serving other people. Start from a, a position of instead of I'm going to tell you how it is, which is often the way that people approach things, I'll, I'll set the, the record straight. Instead, say, hey, I'm just here to, to serve. And yeah. it may go really well, like it did for Ammon. And it may go really poorly at first, like it did for his brethren. You might find yourself saying, okay, Lord, look, I'm trying to do what you told me to do. And everything is going poorly. I've lost a lot of uh, influence by just being a servant, you know. But there are there are ways that the, the Lord works preparing people that if you are willing to take those steps and you're willing to be faithful, good change will happen. The other thing is, I think we learned from Abish that Anyone and everyone has the ability to be a catalyst for good. I think that she was a servant in, in the king, for the queen. Um, she was not in a position of high authority. She had to go out and, 
and make things happen. And she did. She did not hesitate. She went out and found people, brought them in. When it still didn't go the right way, she went in and started trying to, you know, she woke up the queen and had them bear testimony and all that. And I think that that just shows anybody has the ability to make good things happen if we're willing to not hesitate and not fear the outcome, you know, if we're willing to have faith that it's going to turn out well. We, we almost get a, rep, a repetition of what happened with, with Lamona and Ammon, with Aaron here and Lamona's father. I don't know that it ever says Lamona's father's name. But at the end of verse 3, you know, Aaron goes up to Lamona's father and he and Lamona's father is like, Hey, I have been somewhat troubled in my mind because of generosity and the greatness of the words of thy brother Ammon. And I desire to know the cause why he has not come up to Midonai with thee. Meaning, I thought Amon was coming. Why are you here? (laughs) (laughs) And Aaron said, hey, the Spirit of the Lord called him another way. And he's gone to the land of Ishmael uh, to teach the people of Lamoni. And then the king, genuinely, he asked, what is this about the Spirit of the Lord? What is that? You guys, I hear you saying that a lot. And then he starts again. Hey, do you believe this? Do you believe that there is a God? Kind of almost the same pattern Ammon taught. Um, with great spirit was brought our fathers out of the land of Jerusalem. He created all things. And then he just kind of teaches him the plan of salvation. And then 15, he says, and after it came to pass, Aaron had expounded all these things unto the king. What shall I do that I might have eternal life? Is the king who asked. I think he himself knew, I've done bad things. I will give up all that I possess. Yea, I will forsake my kingdom that I may receive the great joy. This great joy. Yeah, and then he bows down to, to cry. I mean, to cry unto the Lord, but to pray. Verse 18, you know, his prayer is very simple. Oh God, Aaron has told me that there is a God. And if there is a God, and if thou art God, will thou make thyself known unto me, and I will give away all my sins to know thee, and that I may be raised from the dead and be saved at the last day. And now when the king had said these words, he was struck as if he were dead. Think about this guy, though. This is a guy who's not used to being uh, subject to anyone. He's a king. He does what he wants, and he's a king over kings. So he does even more of what he wants. And for him to humble himself to the point where he's going to say, okay, I will give up everything just to know this. That That is a true, when we talk about a humble, contrite willingness to know the truth, this is a person who has really humbled themselves to the point where they're like, look, if I lose everything but I gain that, then that's yeah. everything I need. King Lamoni's father here, he's very honest. He's very honest. And he's just as honest when he says, you know, I'm mad at you, Eamon. You're corrupting my son. I'm taking out my sword. I'm going to slay you. That's He's being honest. And he's also being honest when he's saying, is there a God? Is that a real thing? How can I know this? And this is a characteristic I see a lot, um, a lot in people that that 
well, when I say it, I don't mean that members of the church aren't honest, but I see this characteristic a lot with people that I meet that aren't members. They're doing the best they can. And they haven't, sure, they've heard about God and sure they've heard about Nephi, but the way that they've, just like these people, they've, it's kind of twisted. They think, oh, we've been told that they're liars. I'm going to believe that they're liars until I know otherwise. And and that experience may needs to happen still. But there's, you know, I think there's people out there that are really good and honest. They just are doing bad things. And they think those bad things are the way of happiness. But it's like a spiraling negative uh, behavior pattern where they do a bad thing and, and then they don't feel great and then they have to do something else and feel better for a little bit, but then they don't feel great. And they haven't learned that there's a different way of acting and behaving. And once they learn that, I mean, these people, once they become converted, the anti-Nephi, they don't, they don't shake that off. And they, they, they become so converted that they're going to reach a point where they lay down their lives for this cause. You know, the actions that take place here, the actions of Ammon and his brethren, the actions of Abish, the actions of Lamoni and his wife and his father and his mother, lead to the conversion of an entire two kingdoms, three kingdoms worth of people that eventually are the parents to the stripling warriors that eventually, you know, there's this legacy that carries on after them. That A few decisions being made by a few people have an incredible impact over generations. And you think about, like you were saying, there's people that you know, they they thirst or hunger for the truth, but they know not where to find it. There's people out there around us every single day that with a few small decisions that we make and a few small decisions that they make can impact generations. We don't know the impact that it could have. Uh, and I think that that's, we, we see that illustrated in these chapters, but it's not just a cool story. This is something that we can go and do ourselves. Yeah, it's it's funny, you know, the the king he um, collapses, then the queen, she starts getting everybody riled up against Ammon, Aaron, I mean, and then the king comes back and then it says uh, twenty six that the the people be well twenty five, the king stood forth among them and administered unto them. And they were pacified towards Aaron and those who were with him, you know. And then in 27, he sends a proclamation that, hey, Aaron and all these people, they're going to go around about and teaching, teaching to everybody. And then it kind of explains a little bit about the Lamanites. They're kind of scattered everywhere. They live in the wilderness. They're, it's not going to be an easy tracting mission here. Yeah, it's interesting oh. that once once we start seeing some really good beneficial change happening among the Lamanites, Satan kind of incites conflict and contention, right? You start seeing the Lamanites start to make a turn, and then comes wars. And I think that that's very typical. Uh, when good things start to happen, 
Satan will do whatever he can to get in there and, and disrupt. Even if he can't stop things, he'll just disrupt things. And for many people, those wars were galvanizing, but for also many other people, it was it prevented them from being able to hear missionaries teach the gospel because it was everyone was in fighting. Kind of interesting time. I found the verse I was looking for, and it's not in this lesson. It's the first verse of chapter 23. <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, king of the Lamanites sent a proclamation among all his people that they should not lay their hands on Ammon, Aaron, Omer, or Hemni, nor either of their brethren who should go forth preaching the word in whatsoever place they should in any part of the land. And I, that's such an interesting thing because they couldn't have asked for anything better. Now, you know, initially it's, you're going to get thrown in prison and stuff, but we had to do this so then Ammon could liberate you guys and then we could meet King Moose, Lamona's father on the road, and then all of these things had to happen. So now you can actually travel and (laughs) and safely. Uh, So it's almost like you have to take two steps back to take three steps forward type of thing, you know. But also notice that it de- the declaration wasn't, okay, everybody, now we believe in God and we're becoming like the Nephites and everyone has to do whatever these guys say. Um, that's not what was enforced. What was enforced was they can travel freely. You can't harm them. And I think going back to chapter 21, verse 22, and he also declared unto them that they might have the liberty of worshiping the Lord their God according to their desires in whatsoever place they were in, if it were in the land which was under the reign of the King Lamoni. So this is just under the reign of King Lamoni. He gives the people freedom to worship how, where, and what they may. Right? He doesn't say, okay, everybody, everybody in the kingdom, we're all members of this church now. He doesn't do that. He instead says, we're, we're granting religious freedom. Which I find really interesting, because as a king, used to kind of just telling people what to do, you'd think that he might say, I've had this huge conversion, I know this is the truth, okay, everybody, this is what we're doing now. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he just says, we all have the freedom to worship how and where and what we may. Well, I think that's part of them learning the gospel, learning against the, uh, about the natural man, learning about agency, yeah. learning about the purpose of this life, and that we all have to answer, you know, before the Lord for our actions, you know. And that is a, something, I mean, if you don't believe that you have to answer for your actions, it's really hard to believe that your actions matter, you know. If you don't believe that there's agency, then it's really hard to believe that why do bad things happen to good people? You know, and then if, if you don't believe that there is a God in creation, then, you know, drink happy and be merry for tomorrow we die. And, you know, that's it. Nothing happens. So, you know, the, all of these principles, and that's the beauty of the plan of salvation and how Aaron and uh, Ammon and Alma and all of these prophets continuously kind of teach us almost the same kind of principles but in different ways of making people forcing people to do anything even if it's something good 
that removes their agency is a bad thing. We fought a war in heaven for the right to choose. And anything, even if it's a good thing, that removes your freedom to make decisions and to make choices and to dictate your own conscience is is bad. We should not be, uh, and I think that that's kind of what you're seeing here, is it's instead of a king using his position of power to leverage people to be obligated to listen and obey Ammon, uh, he's just saying, you know what, I'm going to open up freedom of religion for everyone. Uh, you have the liberty to worship however you will. And that leaves the door open for Ammon. Then later, when all the sons of Mosiah get freedom to travel and to be able to teach and stuff, instead of forcing everyone to listen to them and creating this kind of feeling of animosity towards them, they're just granted the freedom to teach, and people are granted the freedom to either believe it or not. And their agency is protected. And I think that that is an, an incredible example of how the Lord works. He's not saying, I'm going to force everyone to do something. That's Satan's plan. What I'm doing is I'm opening the opportunity for everyone. Yeah. It's also a sign of confidence in the message that yep. if you just listen, it'll happen. The Book of Mormon is truly the keystone of our religion and that a man and woman will get nearer to God by abiding by its precepts than by any other book. And if you then go and do what he would have you do, your power to trust him will grow. And in time, you will be overwhelmed with gratitude to find that he has come to trust you. There is no end to the good we can do, to the influence we can have with others. Let us not dwell on the critical or the negative. Let us pray for strength. Let us pray for capacity and desire to assist others. Let us radiate the light of the gospel at all times and in all places that the spirit of the Redeemer may radiate from us. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come, follow me.